Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today, a subject that many of us have been exposed to or observed at one time or another, an uncomfortable or even toxic workplace. What does that mean? Well, pretty much what it sounds like, behaviors in the work environment that are unpleasant, unnerving, and possibly illegal. With me in studio are Professor Matt Grobich, Director of Strategic Research at the School for Professional Studies at St. Louis University. Dina berberick Trainin is a therapist at Middleway Counseling and Consulting. And we'd like to hear from you. If you have workplace environment experiences you are unhappy with or have experienced office unpleasantness, give us a call at 382-8255. If you are completely happy with your work environment, give us a call and tell us why. Matt and Dina, very nice to have you with us. Thanks for having us. This seems to be a subject that more and more people are experiencing these days. I don't know if it's worse today than it once was. Uh, Matt, what do you think? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily worse today than it was. Uh, I think these days we we seem to be more comfortable talking about it. Um, Back in the day, um, uh, several years ago, decades ago, you know, there was a, a, a lot of sort of assumption that work was work, right? It wasn't necessarily fun. It wasn't necessarily something you enjoyed doing. It was something that gave you a paycheck and allowed you to provide security uh, and and financial resources for your family. And so you did what you needed to do in order to accomplish that. And today, people have much higher expectations for, for what the work environment is supposed to be like. Dina, how would you define a problematic workplace? I would define a, a problematic workplace as uh, an environment where there's a pervasive culture of mistrust, fear, and dissatisfaction. Uh, you know, generally, a, a toxic work environment is, is a place that just doesn't feel good to work in, a place people dread going to uh, in the morning or um, it takes up a lot of, of real estate in their head thinking about uh, work when they're not at work. Do you have the sense that perhaps it's uh, it's worse today, as I asked Matt, worse today than it might have been a few years ago? I don't know if it's necessarily worse, uh, but certainly our expectations of the workplace are changing. Uh, people are expect more um, a, a more. Um, satisfying work environment and want to be part of something uh, and want to be part of a team and feel that they're heard and valued in their workplace. And uh, I think those expectations uh, have changed have, have changed the workplace for many people. Matt, what uh, would you consider to be the range of, of, of problems that cause this uh, discomfort in the workplace? Well, I mean, first, it's important to remember that within any organization, and the bigger the organization, the more likely there are little pockets of problems, right? It, it, mm-hmm. it, it is a pervasive issue, but it doesn't necessarily have to be pervasive across that entire company or that entire organization. Sometimes there are pockets of departments um, or even just work groups where uh, there are behaviors that are reinforced that are just not healthy. For example, um, people being disrespectful to each other really consistently so, right? Um, not just a matter of disagreeing, but disagreeing in, in, in those very, very inappropriate ways, name-calling, making people feel uncomfortable because of who they are, whether it was because of their, their sex, their race, uh, their sexual orientation, uh, you name it. There's a lot of, of things that can occur or behaviors that can occur that can make people feel uncomfortable. Um, 
And and it isn't any one of those things. It's it's usually all of those things, right? It's the it's the inappropriate behavior, the disrespectful behavior, the constantly making people feel like you know they're not valued by their their supervisor or by their organization. You start adding all of those things up, and that's when you start to get these these really difficult uh, workplace situations. I would think, Dana, these days when most people think of this kind of a problem in the workplace, they're thinking primarily of sexual harassment and sexual abuse because that's been getting so much attention recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that certainly is a is a a, a huge problem. And um, with the the Me Too movement uh, really taking off, one that's getting um, really giving people a place to speak about those issues in particular, uh, that's certainly not the extent of uh, what it means to work in a toxic work environment. Um, you know, a bully can be anybody who uses their position of power or strength to intimidate or uh, control or keep down other people, and it doesn't necessarily have to be of a sexual nature. Yeah, when the when the boss is a bully, that's a, that's a problem for everybody, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and speaking of that, Matt, uh, I... I suppose we should point out that uh, individuals may be affected by a problem in the workplace, but that doesn't mean that everybody in that workplace has the problem. Yeah, I mean, if you if you stop to think about it, right, your 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 reality is really nothing but your perception of that reality. There's there's very few things that are objective um, when we start thinking about our feelings and our thoughts about our jobs and our work, and, and so. You know, we also have to be very careful that um, we don't sort of leap to faulty conclusions. Sometimes a lot of these these issues that surface in the workplace, not all of them, obviously the, the real egregious ones are not easily overcome. Mm. But a lot of times you have issues of miscommunication, somebody saying something that somebody else misinterpreted or misunderstood. Um, you have behaviors that someone thinks are appropriate that no one has really kind of explained to them, you, you really can't do that. Um, being able to start by trying to address some of those things in a constructive manner is, you know, oftentimes a good way to short circuit some of those things that, that may be more a function of how we're perceiving the world around us and not that objective reality. But when situations become pervasive, where you've got, for instance, a department where or an organization where you know people are constantly turning over and leaving because they just can't take it at that point there's obviously something else going on mm-hmm. well taking off and leaving dina is not always the easiest thing to do people need their jobs that's true people do need their jobs and the more toxic the environment the harder it can be to leave in many ways uh, more, the more toxic the harder it is to leave Yes, I think that is correct. So I think what happens to people when they work in a a toxic environment is they start to constantly second-guess themselves. uh, They judge themselves more harshly. They try and be perfect. uh, And the more focused you are on on that current situation, the harder it is to come up with um, an exit strategy that is really can both benefit you emotionally as well as move your career forward. So um, a lot of times people might find themselves uh, leaving sort of out of desperation, uh, uh, which can really end up um, leading them to another unsatisfying environment. That almost sounds counterintuitive to me, Matt, that uh, it would be harder to leave the more toxic the environment. Well, you know, waiting until you get to that point, right, where – 
where things have have piled up so tremendously that you just can't take it anymore and you react by simply leaving without having something else lined up, right? The If, if you've noticed that things aren't right in your workplace, the, the, the first thing you need to do is try to figure out why, right? What is it that's going wrong? Is it something that I'm doing? Is it something that it, my supervisor or my coworkers are doing? Is it something that's a function of interaction style? Are there – what are the key factors – that are driving how I'm feeling, right? And, and, and also understanding what I'm feeling. And I'm, am I feeling fear? Am I feeling anxiety? Am I feeling, you know, depression? Am I feeling some other emotion? And to try to understand what may be leading to that. If you wait until you feel like you have no other choice but to leave, it makes it much more difficult to keep yourself from making decisions that aren't necessarily in your best interest. Quitting your job, for example, without having something else lined up, it is probably not in your best interest. So um, trying to figure out, well, okay, when things aren't working right, how can I address some of these things? And if I can't get them addressed, how do I start making plans to come up with a better way to, to, to manage the situation? Dean, I guess this is where you come in, right? That uh, you try to help pe- people figure out what their course of action should be and how they should basically deal with the, uh, with the environment. That's right. Um, I, I work with people on uh, finding, uh, learning to trust themselves again um, and believe themselves. I think, uh, again, a lot of people really second-guess their experience in a workplace and, and ask themselves, did that just happen or was it really that bad? And and chances are by the time somebody is asking themselves those questions, it, it, it is or, or it did and it certainly did happen. So um, and a lot of people experience increased anxiety, poor sleep, difficulty focusing, difficulty uh, reengaging with their family at the end of the day. Uh, and those are certainly uh, problems that people come into therapy to address. It seems to me and, and – I'm not the expert here. It seems to me, though, that if people are questioning their environment, uh, they shouldn't be thinking necessarily it's their fault. They should be going to HR and saying, I've got a problem with this boss or with this person. You know, help me figure this out and, and solve the problem. Dana, what do you say to that? I think that sounds great. Um, I don't know that it always works that way. I think um, when you've got somebody who is uh, a bully, um, they or uh, – you know, especially if if that uh, person is the boss or it's coming from management, uh, it is um, it is hard to uh, have a clear sense. We usually, uh, you know, he, people usually blame themselves um, when they find themselves uh, in a situation uh, where they're getting um, either reprimanded or sort of um, or second guessed or criticized, and it can be very hard to to see the dynamic clearly. Matt, uh, your thoughts on that? I noticed you reacted when. Uh I asked that question. Uh, no. Uh, you know, the biggest issue you've got, too, is in a lot of those cases is the, a function of what kind of reputation that particular individual has in the organization, too, if that person is the, the sort of perceived cause of the problem. Is, you know, if that person has some sort of stellar reputation as a top performer, a great and wonderful uh, manager or whatever, he, he, Oftentimes when you go and you say, I have a problem here, people will look at you very skeptically. Um, and, and, and when people have that perception that, that this person might have a really good reputation in the organization, it makes it more difficult for you to be willing to want to say something because you don't think anybody's going to believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side of that, 
right? You know, if if you've tried to address a situation in a constructive manner, you maybe you and your supervisor sit down, you want to talk about it, or you talk to some of your coworkers. I mean, social support in in the workplace, um, whether that support is coming from your coworkers or people outside of the organization, social support is a huge. Uh, way through which we we cope with various emotions and stress and things that we have difficulty handling, and um, when if you if you have that support, being able to rely on it can be hugely helpful to checking, for example, your your assumptions or your perceptions about yourself and and your supervisor. When you don't have that, it can be a problem. Yeah. Go ahead, Dan. And we really do still live in a culture that very much blames victims. And um, when somebody comes forward or wants to discuss these problems, they're usually, um, they, they often can be seen as sort of a nuisance or the squeaky wheel and, and not taken very seriously. And that kind of dismissive uh, attitude from a, a boss or a management can be, um, can be very devastating and, and can cause some of that self-blame and self-criticism. And as you say, people would have a tendency to take it home with them, and that uh, that's not a good thing. We have to take a break. Let's do that now. We are talking about a toxic workplaces, I guess, is the current phrase that many people are using. I'll come back and ask Matt Gravich in just a moment why he doesn't particularly like that term. We'll do that in a moment. Uh, and uh, we'd like to hear from you. If you have experience in the workplace you'd like to share in this context, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 382-8255, send an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or send us a tweet at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. And welcome back to our discussion about toxic workplaces. Matt, let me come back uh, to you with regard to the toxic workplace. You don't like that term. I I don't like that term. Um, And the reason why I don't like it is the same reason why I don't like the use of terms like crisis and trauma. Um, we use a lot of these terms because they 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 make headlines, right? They they sound big um, and they sound um, really dramatic. But you know, everything isn't a toxic workplace. A lot of workplaces do have their fair share of problems, but very few people really work in a in in an organization um, that w- that that we would really define as toxic. Are there serious problems that exist in a lot of organizations? Yes. But when you start using terms like toxic workplace, right, what does it really mean? Well, I mean, when we started this off, we were talking about, well, it could mean this and it could involve this and it could involve this. Well, all of a sudden now you've got this very ambiguous term that doesn't really mean much of anything. Dean, is it overstated? I think so. Uh, I think that we use those terms like toxic workplace and crisis and trauma because those are real things. And they are uncomfortable to talk about often, um, but they exist. And I think of, a, you know, when we use the word toxic, what we're really talking about is something unhealthy, something that can make us sick. And uh, there are many workplaces that uh, have, that, that 
are unhealthy for people to be in that make them sick, uh, that cause uh, undue stress and um, and even physical illness. So I, I think it's a it's a very it's a powerful term, uh, but it is a real phenomenon. Right. What what are the most common problems that uh, you deal with the your clients who come to you with this uh, with this situation? Certainly anxiety, uh, certainly difficulty sleeping, um, a lower tolerance uh, with and a sort of a lower threshold for stress with their family. So um, people might notice that they're more snappy or just sort of less able to handle the uh, the sort of normal stresses at home, um, more fighting with their spouse, uh, and and just sort of a, an overall sense of of unhappiness. But do you get more more concerns about bullying than you do maybe a sexual inappropriateness or uh, or other you know gossip. What other mm-hmm. other issues might be out there? I mean, unfortunately, sometimes they go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and again, it it um, you know bullies use all kinds of of different uh, tactics to. Um, to intimidate and and yeah. to create fear, so so I, I would say they're probably somewhat equal. Right. Okay. Let's uh, let's go to the phones and get some uh, input from our listeners. We'll begin with Jerry, who's calling from O'Fallon. Jerry, thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm not saying that 70 percent of work environments are toxic, but I my observation from being in the workplace for about 50 years is that uh, about 70 percent of people whose job it is to manage other people. Uh, either don't have the tools, have never been trained, or have the wrong model uh, for doing that. And I think uh, the result is what you see when, you know, your good people leave because uh, they can. And uh, they're never going to get their employees to work at their full potential. Several years ago, I worked for Merits doing uh, basically business advisement for other companies. And we would constantly bring up the models of companies that, I guess you could say, managed uh, to, the le- to the lesser degree, like Southwest Airlines. You push the level of decision-making down to the lowest point. And a lot of people were still in the command and control military-style uh, management. And uh, they, even though we could say, you know, this is probably the best way if you run a customer service company to survive and, and uh, you know, even be very successful and stand out, uh, they never could adopt that, and I think uh, the bottom line is for a lot. There are a lot of people that want to be in a position of authority for the wrong reasons, and it tends to create situations uh, like the ones you've been discussing. Jerry, thanks for the call, Matt. You're nodding throughout his comments. There, he, he he touched on a number of issues. He did, and um, the biggest thing is that you know most most organizations when they promote someone into a management position. You know, they promote them because they were a high performer in their former position. Just because you are a terrific salesperson or you are terrific uh, fill-in-the-blank with whatever job you want to talk about doesn't mean you're going to be a great sales manager. Mm -hmm. Um, Managing people is a very different skill than the technical expertise that oftentimes is required in those positions of the people that they're managing. And so, yes, most companies don't spend enough uh, resources, trying to make sure that when people are promoted into management positions that they have the, the tool set necessary to be able to effectively manage those people. Well, I think that's called the Peter Principle it, in some regard, that people are promoted to the, the level of incompetence. Yes. Yeah, we have a book on that. You're, you're smiling, Dina. <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, I think when we have a conversation about toxic workplaces, it, you know, we can't really have that without talking about um, 
about the narcissistic boss and that, you know, that's a term we hear a lot um, and that really, um, you know, the, the kinds of characteristic that make somebody, uh, can, can help somebody rise to the top are exactly the ones that, mm-hmm. that can foster them being a, a poor leader. Um, so, you know, competitiveness, um, wanting to uh, gain approval and, and receive accolades, um, you know, all of those kinds of things and, and uh, can really start to backfire the, the more somebody ascends a, um, a, high, a power structure in, in a workplace. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie 9 to 5, but as we talk about this, <laughs> I think of the scene in which the, the three ladies in the office strung Dabney Coleman to the, <laughs> the fan in the ceiling, and that's the way they took care of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the way to do it, right? We have a, a, a uh, an email here from Mark. He writes, I'm a 25-year-old male working in retail. Many times female employees 10 to 20 years older than I can be unnecessarily touchy, endearing, and disrespectful of personal space. Even though it's minor, it adds unnecessary stress and anxiety to my job. Dina, how would you handle that? What, what advice would you give for ha- dealing with that? Uh, that? That's a great question. I think... Um you know, I think it's it depends sort of how safe and comfortable he feels talking directly to those people and letting them know that their um, that their touch as as sort of affectionate as or as as um, harmless as he may understand it to be, um, if he feels comfortable and safe, letting them know that it makes him uncomfortable and he'd prefer they not do it. Um, if he doesn't feel comfortable or feels that there would be uh, a backlash from that, then certainly he he could take that um, you know to uh, the next level up and, and let them know. Um, it may be a matter of uh, kind of educating or re-educating on, on what is appropriate, um, or it, it may simply be over the line. Do you have any thoughts on that, Matt? Uh, no, I mean, I think she, she hit the nail on the head with that one. And, you know, it's it, it's a difficult situation to manage. Um, and, you know, you don't want to get the person in trouble because, you know, especially if you don't if you don't necessarily think they're doing it be- for inappropriate reasons. Mm-hmm. But you have to ha- you have to feel comfortable being able to say something to them or else it doesn't really give you any alternative besides just to keep quiet and continue to experience mm-hmm. the discomfort. Yeah. Do we have any idea of what this kind of an environment does to productivity? Uh, it, Typically speaking, it tends to diminish productivity. The more pervasive uh, the situation is, if for no other reason than most of the time organizations that have a pervasively destructive culture tend to also have higher higher rates of turnover. And replacing employees is a very expensive proposition. And so um, it, it tends to really diminish productivity, and the people that are still there tend to not be working at their best because we only have so many resources available at our disposal to manage various demands of our work and our non-work lives. And if you're spending a lot of time and energy being worried and fearful about things, you're not working nearly as hard as, as you normally would. What do you hear about this, Dana? Well, I agree with that. And um, going back to uh, the young man who wrote in um, – I, I think that one of the things that he's he may be speaking to is that there you know there may be an inconsistency in how the rules are applied 
um, which can, um, so maybe these women are seen more in a sort of motherly or gentle role, and so their behavior may be minimized or, or excused when really it does need to be addressed. Um, so I, I just want to give him a lot of credit for really recognizing what his boundaries are and, um, and wanting to do something about it. I gather there's no one-size-fits-all response to these kinds of situations. I have a list in front of me here of things that, that go on in the workplace. Bosses who provide no feedback or only negative feedback, a boss who pits people against each other, being thrown under the bus by a superior who actually is the one at fault, sudden top-down decision-making, frequent comments and stares related to one's appearance. appearance. We could go on and on and on. These all have to be handled separately and differently, Dina. Though they certainly should be, as yeah. I mean, they're individual, uh, individual as as they you know arise as individual complaints. Um, but you know, I think the more and more of those that start to uh, come to the surface, then you really do have to look at: um, do they have to be handled individually, or is there a more pervasive problem that needs to be addressed globally? Mm-hmm. And you're right in line with that, uh, Matt. Yeah, and I mean, I think any one of those things that you were listing off, right, is an isolated incident. It doesn't really mean anything, right? Maybe somebody makes a poor choice of what they should or shouldn't have done in terms of that particular situation. The issue surfaces when it becomes a pervasive problem in the workplace and you've got multiple of those kinds of behaviors occurring and you have them occurring on a very frequent or consistent basis. I mean, that's where that's where those cultures really start to develop is when these really inappropriate behaviors surface, not just once, but over and over and over and over again, and not usually just to one person or one subordinate, but to many of them. Our time is beginning to wind down. I'll, I'll ask each of you to you know, give us your, your best advice, what, what the takeaway should be from people who are out there experiencing some sort of difficulty in their workplace. Uh, what do you want the takeaway to be for them? Dean, I'll start with you. I think uh, one of the most important things is to trust yourself uh, and to believe the red flags. If you're seeing and feeling a lot of red flags in your workplace, uh, it, it's it's um, start to address them uh, and, and believe that they're happening, uh, and and seek out support. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. Uh, make sure that um, if you start to see those red flags and. Uh, you don't have a sense that it's going to be handled the way that you need it to be uh, within your company or organization, then it may be time to start planning an exit strategy sooner than later um, where as little uh, as little sort of harm to you is, is done as possible. So trust yourself and believe the red flags. All right. Matt? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I would probably deviate a little bit on the first one, which is to uh, to, to really also try to validate you know, see, check and see if other people are seeing some of the same things that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. But but probably the biggest thing is don't wait till everything adds up and to the point where you don't feel like you have any other alternative but to take um, perhaps be, uh, action that is not going to be in your best interest. You know, when things aren't working and, and, and you are experiencing those stressors for whatever reason, you know, figure out how can I address them? How can I cope with them? And if I can't, how do I start making plans so that these things don't add up and put me at a huge disadvantage later? I've been given one other question to ask, one other situation that uh, is a little bit different, I think, than than uh, what we've talked about. And that is the issue of the, the false accusation. And that uh, kind of falls into a couple of different categories. But, Adina, maybe you have some advice about how to deal with that in particular. I mean, they can go to someone like you and deal with it, or they can mm-hmm. confront 
someone? How would you suggest they handle it? So a false accusation. So somebody is being accused of something they of don't something, believe that right. they don't believe they did. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, if that person feels comfortable and safe getting more information, I would suggest um, taking an approach uh, not dissimilar from Colombo and how Colombo used to interview, where you approach with just an, an open curiosity of of what was your experience and what may I have missed, or or mm-hmm. was could we understand? Is there a way to understand the misunderstanding that may have happened if that was the case? Uh, if it feels more malicious or um, intentionally meant to. Um, to, to cause some harm or, or interference with someone's, you know, productivity or career, then I, I think it has to be addressed uh, uh, differently. It always, um, you know, it feels terrible to be accused of doing something that you, that you didn't, don't think you did or didn't intend to do. Um, but sometimes we do those things, and we have to understand the other person's experience to to really get a sense of, of is this false? Is there a, a kernel of truth in this that, that may be something that someone needs to, needs to work on? But again, if it is more malicious, it needs to certainly go up the chain. Yeah. Matt, do you have thoughts on that? Well, I think it does. Uh, the big difference is whether or not it's uh, something that, that somebody is trying to do that is malicious or, or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of, of issues that surface are a, a function of, you know, I interpreted something somebody did one way when it was intended uh, to to be interpreted a different way, you have the whole constant issue of how do you balance the the what the intent what the, the the person who's sending the message is intending to convey versus what you interpreted from the message they sent. So, trying to address those kinds of things in a, a constructive manner is is better than uh, jumping to the conclusion that the person is trying to do it out of you know uh, mean spiritedness or to try to get you know back at you for something that you've done before. If that's the case, then that's a whole different uh, that's a whole different ball of wax. Okay, well, we'll let it go at that. Uh, obviously, it's a problem that many people are contending with. We're not going to call it a toxic workplace anymore, out of deference to Matt Gravich, but uh, we will continue to talk about it, I'm sure. Thanks to Professor Matt Gravich for being here from St. Louis University and Dina Burberg Trainin of Middle Way Counseling and Consulting. Thank you so much for being with us as well. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.